Welcome to the E Hunter Newscast presented by Vortex Optics. Kind of taboo here to hunt the rut. Our, our public doesn't like it. Um, look, this this will be a rut hunt. It's just good knowing the regulations going into it. You know, you want to go in as, as prepared as possible. So if you want one of these, you'll have to burn your limited entry gear points on it. Hello and welcome back to the E Hunter Newscast. I want to start off today by thanking everybody for your love and support that you've been giving us on this podcast. We had a lot of great messages come in from our past podcast, especially the one that we did on wolves in Colorado. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I encourage you to go and download that podcast and listen to it. It's got a lot of great information in it. But the comments that have come in have been very supportive and appreciative, and we want to just thank you for for your support and your help in uh, getting this uh, this podcast up and going. I also want to take a minute and thank our banner sponsor, Vortex Optics. I just posted a video on Instagram tonight about, um, well, it was a video of a moose that I had recorded on a recent hunt. And it is amazing when you're looking through those razor spotting scopes of how clear you can get, especially when an animal's a long ways away. That moose that I was looking at was quite a ways away. And it was still just as clear. In fact, you could still see the frost on the the antlers of the moose as well as on the moose's back. So I want to give them a huge shout out. They're an awesome sponsor, an awesome partner, and just truly enjoy their products. If you haven't had a chance to use some of their products, I encourage you to do that as well. Um, they've got some amazing stuff from binoculars, rifle scopes, spotting scopes, range finders, um, a lot of good stuff. So go to Vortex.com and check out their stuff. On today's podcast, I sit down with Kobe Jones, who's the big game coordinator for Utah's DWR, as well as Mike Wardle, who's a wildlife biologist for the DWR there in Utah. We talk about the mule deer plan, and this is actually going to be part one of this conversation that I have with them. This this conversation will be strictly towards the mule deer plan, the changes, and some of the new hunts that Utah is coming out with. So if you haven't heard of these new hunts, stay tuned because we talk about them extensively I hope you enjoy it. If you do, please give us a like and subscribe to our podcast. And without further ado, here's my interview with Kobe and Mike. All right, well, welcome to the eHunter newscast. I'm joined by a couple of guests today. Really excited to have these gentlemen on. Um, they're very, very talented men in their field, and um, I really appreciate them taking the time with me today. So, with me today in today's podcast, I have Kobe Jones, who is the big game coordinator for the for Utah's uh, Division of Wildlife Resources, as well as Mike Wardle, who is a wildlife biologist um, for the DWR as well. Welcome to the call, guys. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Super excited. I'm glad to have you guys on, and, and I really appreciate your guys' time. I, I know you guys as... As state employees, um, as biologists, you guys are extremely busy, so I, I really appreciate your time. And if you guys wouldn't mind introducing yourselves, telling us a little bit about um, you, where you're at, where you cover, and, and those kind of things. So uh, this is Mike Wordle. Um, I'm the wildlife biologist out of Fillmore. So I cover the Pavant and the Beaver and the Oak Creek units. So my my main job is um, I'm kind of make recommendations for all of the huntable wildlife in my units. So my job is to kind of inventory and estimate uh, population levels and then also make recommendations um, for hunts, 
and you know permit numbers and all that fun stuff. I kind of do the biology side behind it for those three units. And you do all wildlife, right? Not just big game. Right. Yep. Okay. Yep. So I work with upland game and small game animals too. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm Kobe Jones, and I work um, specifically with big game. So in the state, uh, we have regional biologists that gather a lot of the data, and then we have. Um, in Salt Lake, we have coordinators and, and coordinators, let's say, you know, regional biologists, their, their workload is spread a mile wide and an inch deep and coordinators. It's exactly the opposite. You know, it's an inch wide. I focus only on big game, but a mile deep, um, work with all the biologists to summarize all, summarize all the data, um, and, and come up with good hunt recommendations that make sense. Um, also, you know, one of the other responsibilities is to make sure that we have current statewide management plans for all the species in the state, um, that we're following those plans, and that we're, we're managing the way that we've agreed to manage. You know, we, we always say in wildlife, there are a lot of right ways to manage wildlife. Um, a lot of what we do is social. There, there are certain things, though, that are biological, and, and we'll let the public know when we're going to cross the line and say, hey, this is a bad idea, and here's why. And that's how we view our role. But I'm lucky enough to work with several biologists like Mike on big game issues, research projects, and, and permit recommendations. And so you covered the entire state, correct? Yes, I do. Yep. I work out of a, the, the Salt Lake headquarters office and, and statewide. Awesome. Well, you guys are perfect for this call and the questions that I have regarding this podcast. Um, most of it is centered around um, mule deer in Utah. Um, Utah is well known in the West as one of the best states in the West to, to hunt mule deer. I'm actually from Utah originally, grew up my entire life hunting mule deer in in southern Utah. I uh, appreciate your guys' hard work and really all the biologists, all the state employees and their contributions to uh, have allowed me to hunt Utah uh, or mule deer in Utah my entire life. So, so I'll start off with that and thank you both for your for your work and everything that you do to for us as hunters and allow us to enjoy our passion. So, so to get into this, uh, we we've done several articles on our website ehunter.com and uh, recently about Utah. Uh, there's been several changes in Utah as far as the the big game plan. Uh, as, especially as it applies to or as it pertains to mule deer and so what I'd really like to spend the majority of our time today talking about is the is mule deer um, the numbers of mule deer in Utah and and the new um, mule deer management plan in Utah so let's start there with the new mule deer management plan and Kobe I'll, I'll lean on you on this one can you tell us a little bit about this new mule deer plan and what's been proposed, what's been actually put in place and, and some of the details regarding that? Yeah, I, I certainly can. So um, Utah, uh, most of our management plans for big game are updated every five years. So we came to the end of the last, last time's uh, mule deer management plan um, and we put a group together and rewrote it. When we, when we write one of these management plans, because there is a lot of social uh, <laughs> We, we form a committee, and we it's pretty intense. You know, we spend over 40 hours together as a committee um, rewriting this plan. And some of the things that came out of it when we surveyed our public is that there there is a lot that the public um, wants to stay the same. You know, 
The public seems to like the three-tiered system that we have in Utah. We have general season units, um, and then we have limited entry, entry units, which are there are more bucks on the landscape than the limited entry units, but it takes longer to draw, and that's a separate point system. And then inside that limited entry system, we have two premium limited entry units, the Pontagon and the Henry Mountains. And it, it feels like our public at least really, really likes that. Um, and so there's a lot that we learned the public kind of wanted to keep the same. Some of the changes that we made were to, to, to use the last five years, we started to collect a lot more data. And some of the changes we made are to use that data to more proactively manage mule deer. And so what I mean uh, is that in the, the population section of the plan, to take a really hard look at what our current populations are and then tie that back to body condition scores. So in Utah, every year we, we have a major capture effort on mule deer. You know, this year, I don't want to get the number wrong. Let me look at it really quick. I think we caught, we caught over 800, 860 mule deer in December. Wow. And every one of those, we got a total ingest of fat on. So how fat are they heading into winter? And then we monitor those animals to look at survival. Uh, we look at fawn survival. We look at adult survival. And so there are a couple things that came out of this plan. And they don't seem like big changes, but really they kind of are. One of them is, are we managing at the the appropriate level on the landscape. So now I'm not talking bucks, I'm talking population levels. Mm -hmm. And to take a look at herd health, and it directs the biologists, because we don't set population objectives in the statewide plan. We set those in unit plans. We have 29 units, and in each unit plan, we set the population objective. And the statewide plan says, okay, as a biologist in your district, take a hard look at what your body condition is, Take a hard look at what your population levels have been over the last 10 years. And let's set a realistic population objective that's attainable and we can still have with, with have a healthy herd with. Um, another one of the changes would be uh, the appendix. I don't know if we want to get into the appendix now with the CWD plan or. Yeah. What, there, what is that about? Okay, let's let's talk about one more change. So the, okay. the other big change to hunting was that, and, and this is buck hunting now, and that is that before, the best data we had were just to use buck doe ratios, three-year average, and trend. But in these general season units, you're highly dependent on your fawn crop. You're highly dependent upon those yearling bucks uh, coming in. And now that we have better data on fawn survival and fawn collars, we allowed the biologists some latitude to really take a look at not only what are their buck doe ratios, what are the trends, but what does your fawn survival look like and what is that going to look like coming into this next year and and how will that influence how we either make a recommendation to increase or decrease permits. Um, and I, I just said that, that's really important for me as, as a regional biologist because the statewide plan is ultimately what gives me direction and sideboards on what I can and can't do when recommending permit numbers and and this allows us to use all the data that we have in hand in order to try and be more proactive um you know try and either reduce permits when we need to um, beforehand before we hit a crash or you know increase permits when that opportunity is there 
So what are you doing in your territory, Mike, specifically from what you're seeing? Or are you more on that taking permits away or adding more permits based on what you're seeing? Um, so we haven't gone through all, we don't have all of our data back yet. We, we make our permit number recommendations um, here in a month or two once we have like all the harvest data and, and which comes from surveys of hunters. We don't have all that information back yet and our, all our survival information. But but just looking at my classification data that I did through November and December, um, most most all of my units will have some type of a decrease. My, my buck to doe ratio has come in really low um, and I mean, lower than the objective. And my fawn to doe ratio um, has been really low for the last two or three years on both the beaver and pavant and then as well as the oak creek. Okay. So in my in my district, um, you know, deer numbers have have dropped, have declined substantially in the last few years, and we've we put on some collars on the beaver unit this year, and uh, in order to try and understand better what what's going on with these deer. And one of the things that was interesting to me uh, was, you know, Kobe mentioned when we do these deer captures. We do ultrasounds and we take a bunch of measurements that gives us an idea of how much body fat that these deer have. And the beaver came in really low um, this year, which, you know, points to we may have some habitat issues during the summer range that we can try and, uh, you know, make some efforts in improving summer range so that the deer can put more fat on. But, yeah, as of right now, though, it's, it's there's likely going to be a decrease on my units. Wow, that's really interesting. That's that's actually a good kind of segue. We won't get to it yet, but something else I want to talk about on this on this podcast or the the numbers of, of deer in Utah. But let's finish up the the mule deer management plan um, and the other changes that you were talking about, Kobe. Absolutely. So, um, you know, over overall, very few changes. Uh, that is one of the biggest changes that came to general season hunting is just being able to consider more than just buck duration trend. Another change was looking at uh, a few more opportunities to to hunt deer and and stuff that we haven't tried in Utah. Uh, the hams hunt, for example, was one of the things that came out of the mule deer plan. It's a handgun archery, muzzleloader, and shotgun hunts. And what these were designed to do is is really kind of offer a more primitive type hunt. So the rule behind these is that you can use any handgun, archery, muzzleloader, shotgun that fits the definition that we wrote in rule, um, and then they have to be open sites. And the season dates on these are actually quite late. I know you're you're out of Colorado, right? Correct. Okay, so in Colorado, you guys have uh, third and fourth deer seasons with rifles, but in Utah, we don't. We it's kind of taboo here to hunt in the rut. Our, our public doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this this will be a rut hunt. We're going to try it out on three units with what we're trying to make is a more primitive hunt, primitive weapon type hunt, using modern weapons but removing the optics, and and see see how the public likes it. You know. So, um, which units? You said that's going to be in three units. Which units will that be open to? Uh, this year we haven't recommended on a portion of the Book Cliffs. It's the Book Cliffs Floyd Canyon. We haven't recommended on uh, the Kaparowicz unit, and we haven't recommended on Morgan South Ridge. And is that just mule deer hunts, or will there be other species involved in those hams hunts? 
for right now, it's just mule deer. I think the goal would be to possibly expand this to elk and other other species, but for right now, it's just mule deer. It's it's really inter- a really interesting hunt because you're right. I mean, like I said, I grew up in Utah, and yeah, hunting in the rut is something that has been kind of taboo in Utah because we spend Thanksgiving looking at all these bucks that, and we're all angry because we didn't see any of them during the deer hunt in October, <laughs> and then it comes time for the the rut and Thanksgiving time, and we're like. Where did where have these things been? And so, so yeah, it will be really interesting having a, a rut hunt in Utah. I love the the approach though, making it more primitive. Taking, you know, because Utah, at least as as I remember, you can use a, a scope, a, a high powered scope on a muzzleloader on the general and the limited entry hunts. Is that correct? Yeah, you can. So on the regular muzzleloader season, you can use a scope, absolutely a magnifying scope. Okay, so and then, but in this hunt, you you lose that advantage, um, and same with all the other, uh, you know, the archery, the the shotgun, the handgun can't use scopes on on anything like that. So I I like that it's more of a yeah. a primitive. So let's jump down this rabbit hole a little bit with the hams hunts while we're talking about it. Um, those units that it's on, what was the reasoning behind those specific units or having the hams hunts on those units? So in the plan, when we wrote the plan, we said we said to we set a criteria as to where we would evaluate. We said areas with low deer density that are underutilized by hunters, uh, or areas maybe that have a high potential for human conflict, or also to look at areas where we have migratory deer populations. And so when we set up that criteria, every one of these fits a portion of that criteria. You know, when we look at an area like the Kaparowitz super low deer densities and you can hunt a long time there even in november and not find deer look an area like the bookless floyd canyon on the south end there we have deer there that are just they're just unavailable during all the other seasons but they come down out of some steep rocky rocky cliffs and, and inaccessible areas to where they are more available and, and same morgan south rich a lot of that summer range is private and so they come down onto public land and they become accessible and so every one of these fit that criteria. And that's when the committee helped write the plan. They were comfortable with the hunt, comfortable with the idea, but they wanted to sit some sideboards as to when and where we'd call these. And and to be honest, these will be there will be very few permits assigned to these the first couple of years, just to see how the public likes it, likes it, get the feedback and and see if we want to move forward and establish more of these or if, if the idea wasn't what we thought it was gonna be. We just when we don't know yet. Will it go to a draw system like Utah normally uses to determine who gets those permits? It'll go to a draw system and it'll use limited entry, the limited entry point system, so the bonus point system, not the preference point system. So if you want one of these, you'll have to burn your limited entry deer points on it. Ooh, ooh, that's a rough one. See, so being out of stater, I'm able to put in for all these species in Utah, so I'm building points and everything right now, and I'm I'm building for, like you talked about earlier, one of those Ponsagant or... Henry Mountain, so I'd have to burn those points to have one of those hams hunts. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, though, the trade-off is that they could be a really good hunt, too. Absolutely. I really think they they could. I mean, it's a runt hunt in Utah, so I'm sure there's not a lot of data behind it, but those could be excellent hunts. Do you see them going to other units in the future? Obviously, I'm probably not going to be able to hunt in any of Mike's units, which that would be awesome if I could on in that rut hunt. Give me one of those Pavant uh, tags in the rut. But do you see it going to any other units in Utah? 
in the future? I do. I absolutely see it expanding if it's something the public wants. You know, I, a lot of times we'll try something for two or three years and get feedback first. And if we get positive feedback, you know, we, we did this. We do have a late-season muzzleloader hunt that runs into the first part of November. And we tried that on select units first in the last year plan, after five years. Um, we got some really good feedback, and we took that and we expanded it to all units now. So we do have a, a late-season muzzleloader hunt on general season units. That hunt, again, does take limited entry points to draw, but you can hunt that now on, on any of the general season units. It does end uh, November, the latest it would ever go. Our season dates in Utah fluctuate. We don't have hard day openers. The latest it would ever go is November 11th. Uh, and this year it ends before that, I think, like November 5th. Yeah. November 5th? Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that'd be perfect for me. <laughs> Sorry, what was that, Kobe? On that one, you could use a scope. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'll I'll be really interested into in hearing how this comes out. We the three of us might have to hop on another podcast at the end of this year and kind of discuss this and see if there was some successes and changes that may need to be made to. I'm sure there will be. You know that that's really anything. It's ever evolving. I think with with wildlife management. I'm I'm speaking as a as a hunter, but and I don't know wildlife management, but I would imagine it's ever evolving and things will absolutely have to change. So uh, one more other question that I have with the hams hunts is, are people going to be required to wear hunter orange during those hunts? So under this, it does not look like you'd be required to wear hunter orange. Okay. Awesome. And that makes sense because where it's a, an archery, you know, muzzleloader, I mean, historically in those two hunts, we haven't had to wear orange during those hunts so it makes sense you know i guess the one that i would mostly be afraid of would be the well i guess not even that but the handgun or the shotgun but um it would make sense that it wouldn't require hunter orange and in the handgun just so you know um this is not any handgun that's probably important because there are these handguns out there that really aren't handguns and so we have a specific definition for handguns um in this rule muzzleloaders are just muzzleloaders shotguns are just shotguns but handguns the handgun must have no more than a single barrel 15 inches or less in length including the chamber have a single rear hand grip without any form of a fixed detachable or collapsible buttstock apparatus or extension behind the rear grip capable of being used to steady the handgun against the body while firing or vertical foregrip and be no more than 24 inches in overall length so we intended this to be limited to traditional handguns that meet the foot pound requirement in utah so for big game to meet foot pound requirement uh, on deer you've got to be at least a 357 or bigger um and then in addition to that requirement you can't have a butt stock you can't have any fit form or function you can't steady the gun behind the grip like it so that gets rid of a lot of these ar platforms yeah we see a lot of those Um, yes sub kind of like a not i don't know what they call but more of a compact ar style that would probably be considered a a handgun but this that kind of rules those out 
Yeah, it won't allow for them. Gotcha. Yeah, that's very important for our, our listeners to know. I don't know that anybody has has notified anybody on that, or I, I have not heard that up until this point, so that's a, a great point to, to point out. What about shotguns? Any restrictions there? No restrictions on a shotgun. Okay. Gotcha. Oh, it, um, other than you you can't hunt big game in Utah with like birdshot, right? I think a double-op buck is the smallest thing that you can use on, on big game. Okay. You can use slugs? You can use slugs. Okay. I would imagine that's what most people would use is a slug, but, but they can use double-op buck on, on them. And and we did find it right here. It is in the, the exceptions. Handgun, archery, shotgun, muzzleloader hunts are an exception. Okay. For the hunter orange. Okay. Good. Good. That's. I think that's a really good thing for our listeners to to know as well it's just good knowing the regulations going into it you know you want to go in as as prepared as possible and being in a new hunt it's a new hunt it's going to be you know everybody's going to be guessing a little bit so it's nice to to have that information out there for everybody to know so okay yeah awesome well let's any other changes to the the mule deer management plan besides those ones that, that you've already mentioned I think we covered a lot of the big ones, don't you, Mike? I think. You want to talk about the CWD plan? Oh, yeah. And, and we took a leaf. We actually invited some speakers in from Colorado to help us with our CWD plan and help garner some support from this and, and find out what they what they did. But we actually have a, a, a plan for the first time ever to try and mitigate or manage chronic wasting disease in Utah. And, and we have chronic wasting disease in, in three main locations uh, spread across the state. You know, we have positives in Unit 16 in the central portion on the Mantine and Ebo. We have posit- positives in Unit 8, 9, and 11 um, that are more in the uh, northeastern portion of the state, out in and around Vernal and those areas there. And then we have some positives uh, down again on the border of Colorado on the south. Um, since we started monitoring for CWD in, in 2003, um, as of last year, we've had 94 positive deer and two positive elk, and that's not including the ones that came in positive this year for deer. Uh, no elk, but we had several deer come in positive again this year. And and what the plan really wants to do is it, it wants to take a look at where we have chronic wasting disease, how do we slow the spread, and how do we keep prevalence low in those areas. And there are several things that... Colorado's done and shown some success. They, the last time I talked to them, they actually should be publishing some of the data. But one of the things they did is that chronic wasting disease is, for some reason or another, it's much more prevalent in prime age bucks. So a buck ages four to six years old has a lot higher likelihood of being CWD positive than other animals on the landscape. And it's easiest to target prime age bucks during the rut. And so... You know, in Utah, rut hunts typically are are not super socially acceptable, but it may be a management strategy that we use to maintain reduced prevalence on the landscape. Colorado showed that they could have high buck doe ratios and reduced prevalence sim- simply by using that fourth season to target, target CWD hotspots. Um, in Utah, we manage our general season units on a, at a lower buck doe ratio. And that could be one of the reasons why we haven't had 
as high of prevalence is just because we don't have a lot of those prime age bucks on the landscape. And so that's another strategy, just to continue doing what we're doing and see if we can't keep that prevalence low. Um, there are several other strategies listed in the plan that we can try that have been demonstrated to have some <clears throat> some positive effect on the on on CWD and and we're excited to start this plan and, and try some of these. That was written as an appendix to the plan. Mm-hmm. It's not actually part of the plan, but as an appendix. And we left it that way because the truth is there is a ton about chronic wasting disease that we don't know. Right. And and we wanted to leave it open so that as new research or new data becomes available, we could amend it and change it as we needed to. Gotcha. Yeah, there I, I think that's across most states right now is there's just so much unknown with CWD. Uh, I've been able to talk to quite a few of the Colorado biologists lately and there's yeah, there's just so much unknowns how to manage it and I, I think that's smart on your guys' part to leave that open for um for input and adjustments and so I, I think that's a really good idea. Um and I actually wasn't aware that there was that many cases identified in Utah at, at this point. You know, you hear a lot of it in Montana, Wyoming and more and more in, in Colorado. So it sounds like it's it's pretty prevalent in not I shouldn't say pretty prevalent, but it is is there in Utah. So that's a really interesting point though, too, regarding Colorado and their fourth season to use that in a way to management, manage CWD and, and introducing these hams hunts in Utah, uh, kind of at a similar point. So, you know, that's a, a great plan. And I think a lot of people are, are interested in this new mule deer management plan. Like you said, there wasn't a lot of, there's not a lot of changes. I, I did have one other question along with it. I, I read somewhere that this was going to be a seven-year plan versus the five-year plan that Utah has historically done. Is that correct or is that not correct? So we proposed it as a seven-year plan, but the wildlife board decided they wanted to see us um, see it be a five-year plan. And so as it got passed, that was one of the changes that the board made. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you for that clarification. Because I, yeah, and you'd mentioned it the first of the podcast that Utah historically has done five-year plans. And I just read that this was a seven-year plan. So thank you for that. All right, guys. Thank you for joining us for this part one of my conversation with Kobe and Mike. Make sure that you're subscribed to our channel. That way, when part two comes out, you'll be notified. In part two, we go into detail on the mule deer numbers in Utah. We recently did an article on mule deer numbers being up and actually at an all-time high in Utah, and I asked them that question. So make sure you're subscribed so that you get a notification when we publish that next episode, and thank you for listening.